this is how it's meant to be. We're meant to work with these creatures. We're almost meant to worship them in a way. You should always be prepared to ignore any advice that doesn't sit right with you in your gut. You don't have to agree with everything that the person is telling you to do. And it's okay to stand up for your horse. I think everyone should be prepared to do that. A little, maybe a little reminder to think back about why you, why you fell in love with horses and why you started. I think that's always a go-to point when you're feeling like you're stuck or, um, or you're not enjoying yourself as much as you thought you think you should. Like, go back and find that feeling of when you first fell in love with horses. Welcome to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast, a source for riding and training insights with the goal of helping your horse be a happy, light and willing partner. I'm your host, Amalia Dempsey, a mainstream equestrian rider who discovered natural horsemanship, and now I help riders like you achieve connection and communication, so you can have more fun and fulfillment whilst prioritizing partnership with your horse. Want to find out my horse training philosophy? Access the free connection and communication mini course at amaliadempsey.com. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. This is episode number three, an interview with Lynn Rusula. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast again. I've had a surprising number of downloads already, and I think I've really found my jam when it comes to the online space. I'm really enjoying it so far. And if you're enjoying these episodes too, please help me spread the word by taking a screenshot of this episode and uploading it to your Instagram story where I can reshare it as well. And also please leave me a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the world to me. I love talking all things horses and today's episode is super exciting because I connect with a trainer that I've had my eye on for some time. We definitely share a lot of the same philosophies when it comes to horses and training. Lynn is 23. She's based in north of Adelaide, South Australia. She has a personal love for liberty and dressage in particular, but she prides herself on being consistent across a wide variety of disciplines. She is currently working full-time at an Arab stud slash endurance stable, which she describes as being an all-encompassing job from the breeding side of things to getting the endurance horses fit and competing to riding an endless string of young horses. And in her spare moments, she also teaches lessons and works some outside horses. So without further ado, let's get Lynn on the line. Hello, Lynn. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming onto the show. I have been wanting to connect with you for such a long time. I've been a long time admirer of yours. So thanks again. Thank you so much. No, I'm really keen to have a chat to you too. I know we're kind of on the same wavelength about a lot of things, so it should be really interesting. Yes, absolutely. Before we get into some of the more formal questions, I'd love to hear from you a little bit about your horsemanship journey to date, how you got into horses, who you've studied with, etc. So I, I was always that horse-obsessed kid um, and I got riding lessons for my ninth birthday and shortly after that my mum actually bought one of the riding school horses that wasn't really suitable for the riding school. So he wasn't really suitable for me either, he was a big strong hot horse but I got my first pony shortly after that and yeah that was kind of the rest of history, been going ever since. Um, and actually I think it was in 2013 you know, do you know that horse show, Cavalia, with like the circus that was yes. there? Yes, I went to that and it like completely blew my mind. And that was how I started my Liberty horsemanship journey. So, Amazing. 
yeah and then I kind of followed the classical dressage path as well um, thanks to one of my first horses who had a lot of physical difficulties um, and that's how I found one of my probably biggest influences which is Manolo Mendes and actually when I decided to go down the like making my life just horses that I was a working student for Manolo for one and a half years mm -hmm. um, so yeah and now I am working at an Arab horse stud and it's also an endurance stable so I'm doing a bit of everything there but it's a lot of riding young horses which I really love and I'm you know getting to do endurance which is not something I ever thought I would do but I'm really loving that process as well so and at the same time I'm getting to do a lot of a little bit of teaching and a little bit of training other people's horses so it's really varied and I'm really really enjoying it that's amazing so let's backtrack back to Kavalia yeah I'd love to know how you went from just being inspired from watching Kavalia to actually doing liberty training like did you just start experimenting did you uh, read some books look online like how did you bridge that gap yeah well I have to say like when I was first brought up into horses it was really traditional it was like you know you have to be the boss the horse has to do what you say like, um, same here. like that yeah exactly and then it kind of just it was like I went and watched this show and I remember this one scene where it was a bunch of acrobats and they all bowed to this horse and it was just like a, 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 a yeah, mind-blowing moment for me. I was like, Hold, like, look at this. It's um, This is how it's meant to be. We're meant to work with these creatures. We're almost meant to worship them in a way. And um, I was really, I think I was really lucky actually. I wasn't kind of on the internet at the time where I saw that show. So for me, Liberty, um, I just went into the arena, took off the halter, and I kind of learned it from the horse, which I'm so grateful for now. I mean, there's there's so many good resources out there, and I have obviously read all the books I can, looked at all the videos. I follow a bunch of absolutely amazing people online, and I've learned so much through that. But from the very beginning, it was just taking the halter off and kind of figuring it out as I go. That's so cool. That's so inspiring. So basically, mostly self-taught, you could say, from from when you were first inspired from Kamalia to just take off the halter and seeing what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> what I do now is probably a far cry from there. That was really rough, not going to lie. Yeah. Um, a lot of mistakes, but yeah, I think it was good. It was, And it was a way I could do it without any judgment. I didn't feel like I was failing because there was no benchmark. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And then you got into, uh, a little bit further down the track, you got into classical dressage because of uh, one in particular horse. Can you tell us about that horse and what specifically made you like go down the classical dressage pathway? Yeah, so she, that was my first first horse. Like I'd had a pony before that. I outgrew the pony and I got this mare and she was already older. She was an Arab mare. And now I know she's got like quite bad kissing spine. Um, and she probably had for the whole time I had her. But I just I just knew that she wasn't enjoying her work and it really bothered me. And especially when I started doing the Liberty as well, I was like, she just says no to everything I say. Um, and I think when I went, I started looking into Manolo's work and I'm like, oh, it's, it's, it is physical, physically based. Like she has these restrictions and she genuinely can't, isn't strong enough to do what I want her to do. So yeah. that kind of took me right to the very first steps of building a horse up, using dressage training to really make them 
stronger and I mean she was never she was never amazing dressage horse you know it kind of just got to a point where I was like okay I can make her comfortable and I can slowly use these little building steps to get her better and she had you know that paired with the liberty she went from being this kind of shut down not interested horse that I just felt like I didn't have a connection with to um, being really really a, a vibrant personality really and just really involved and wanting to come up and work so it was a good combination for her the liberty and then the classical dressage to support her physically it um yeah it was a, it was really good and it was a huge learning curve for me that's so good and from what i understand from classical dressage they don't really kind of care what sort of horse you've got it's more about making the work more comfortable and actually beneficial for the horse which is what i love about the whole classical dressage exactly. scene as well compared to say competitive dressage where it is kind of all about the horse's ability rather than yeah working with what you've got yeah, I think, and that's why I think I've stayed in love with it. It's because you know you can have a quarter, a backyard bred quarter horse, and you can still you can still achieve incredible things, and you can still really make them the best version of themselves because of this system. So, yeah. So, what specifically was it about Manolo that made you go with him? Like, did you look at other kind of classical trainers, or did you just stumble across him? Tell us about that journey. I definitely stumbled across him. Um, I went and watched a clinic that he was doing locally. Um, but yeah, I have to say after watching that clinic, he, he is just a sensational horseman. Like he's insanely talented and he just speaks horse. So I, I always know that I don't think I'll, ever, I'll never be Manolo. I'll never, I don't want to say I'll never be as good. I will never be as good, but I'll never be him specifically, if you know what I mean. Yes, but he's yes. just... Like he's, he's just got this magic way of working and it's almost, he, you really, you watch him work and you can feel what the horse feels because of the way he kind of expresses it, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. And he doesn't even have to be talking. It's just like he, he just opens up this feeling of connection between you, him, the horse, and it's just, it's magical to watch. And I think anyone that's kind of seen him work with a particularly difficult case could back me on saying that. Yeah. So yeah, um, I couldn't not learn from Manolo after I kind of saw saw what he did in person. Yes. Yeah. And how would you say he has influenced the way you train now? Like I know you spent a year and a half with him. Yeah. What changed in that time and you know, how are you working with your courses now um, in a way that Manolo has influenced? Well, I mean I think, you know, he's got this he's got this pretty um really like really well developed system that he's got he's got his you know his, I think it's called training for wellness that's what they've labeled it yeah. and um it's just it's a really good foundation for anything like any even if it's not a problem horse if it's a young horse building their strength or horses across any discipline it's kind of just a really good thing to fall back on if you have a problem or if you're starting from scratch with a horse so it's really kind of made its way into what I do because it's just such a solid base to start from yes so yeah. yeah how would you say that his style kind of differs from more traditional or competitive dressage training styles i think it's so it's so um in depth in like the horse physically and what's going on with that specific horse's body and also working so harmoniously it's it, it is yeah it's hard to explain because he's 
he's so different from any other trainer I've ever I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Would you say it's less about kind of working your way up the levels and more about kind of meeting the horse where they're at? Or definitely. And I think the working through the levels just kind of comes when you're doing all the yes. things, which you yeah, know, yeah. So. And yeah, it's just, it's really, it's about making the horse as comfortable and happy as it can be. And then anything, anything you achieve through that is a bonus. Yeah. I which is what I really believe in as well. So nice. Yeah. So tell us about each of your horses and what are their different personalities and what are you doing with them currently? Right. So my, I've got one Welsh pony called Nim, who I got as a weanling and she's now nine years old. So I was meant I was meant to start her on the saddle and sell her as a project pony, but I just fell in love with her and she's actually one of the horses I first started doing Liberty with. So she she's actually quite a hot, sensitive, reactive horse by nature, but she is so so clever, and um, she knows you know she knows all the tricks and ab absolute better at Liberty than I am and ever will be. She's just amazing. But yeah, she's is my, she the one that smiles all the time? She smiles all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's my little best friend and yeah, I love her to bits. And I've also got, she's also the one, she's a chestnut mare and I would happily only have chestnut mares thanks to Nim. <laughs> um, and I've also got another chestnut mare. I just bought last year a off the track thoroughbred five-year-old mare called Tinker. And so she's- exciting. Yeah, very exciting. So she's, I haven't done a lot with her. She's mostly been spelling. We've mostly just been hanging out and getting to know each other. But she's an interesting one because she's both super like innocent and naive, but she's also so kind of calm and unbothered by the world. So she's like kind of not an old soul, but not a, not a young soul either, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, she's she's going to be so much fun. She's a little pocket rocket. She's only fifteen one, um, but I'm hoping, you know, I'll do the liberty and the dressage with her. But I'm hoping to do some more jumping because it's not something I've had a whole lot of opportunity to do. So, mm -hmm. yeah, exciting future. It's nice having a a young horse that you can just look forward to the future with. Really. Then there's a couple of retirees in the back, back paddock, but you know, they're they're my two main horses at the moment. So what would you say is your ultimate goal with your current horses? And I guess like in your lifetime, like what would be the best thing that you would like to achieve with your horses? Oh, big question. Um, I've got so many goals. I mean, I guess some of them, the ultimate goal I think is to just have this great, I think I've kind of got a taste of it with Nim, this really good deepened relationship where it's almost like we speak the same language. I think that's always my goal with my own horses. It's kind of just to have that connection and be able to do everything, both both willing parties, you know, doing the things and enjoying them. Um, I would also, a big goal of mine is one day I want to get to Grand Prix dressage. I don't have a timeline on it. I don't know if it's going to happen with any of the horses I'm riding now, but that's definitely a goal. And yes, I think, I mean, Nim's probably... I've done a lot of liberty with a lot of different horses. Nim's obviously the one I've done the most with. So I'd like to have another horse one day at her level. And with Nim, actually, we've just started working on the PF. So that's exciting. Kind of just a new trick, a new trick for her. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be cool to finally tick that off of my to-do list. 
Yes, very impressive. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that video. Yeah. <laughs> And I think it's nice that you mentioned that one of your goals is to have that deeper level of connection because I'm sure that all the listeners on this podcast have that same goal. That's why they're here. So that's really nice to hear. Yeah, um, I think it kind of comes, I think it comes from, I'm actually a real fantasy nerd. Like I love books and things that are just about, you know, magical worlds and stuff. So I think that's kind of like, I want to have that relationship with my horse where it's just, you've got almost that fairy tale connection. And I think you can. Yes. Yes, I think it's possible too. Yeah. And I think deep down in every horse lover, there is that kind of fantasy. Yeah. I and sometimes yeah. along the road of your horsemanship journey, you know, especially when you get into competing and that sort of thing, it gets a little bit serious and that, that kind of fantasy gets a bit tainted, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's one, of, one of the struggles, isn't it? We've got this child, this childlike love for horses which is the reason you fell in love with them but then you've also got your adult goals and it's kind of finding the balance so you can live out both of those things and you know absolutely yeah yes so what do you think your secret to success is with horses in particular success around getting that deep connection like what what could you tell our listeners that would help them achieve that level of connection i wish there was a secret but i think it's just time so I can't tell you how many hours I've spent with him in the arena, out on the trails, like just making mistakes, trying again, you know, apologizing to her, she forgives me, we try a different way. You know, it's just time and um, not judging. And also don't get too in your head about why things are happening the way they are. Like obviously consider it, but also just stay open so you can receive the messages your horse is trying to give you. Yes, I love that. And you're right, I don't think there really is any secrets, but I've also spent thousands of hours with my horses. So yeah. yeah, but I don't think it's thousands of hours just riding them, you know? There's so much more to well, it than just riding. Well, I mean, you've been very involved with your horses since they were really young, haven't you? So Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of your relationship would be the reason you've got such a strong relationship with both of them is the time you spent before you could even ride them. And I think maybe that's why I've gotten this far with Nim. It's because she's too small to ride. So everything I've done has been not not for reasons of wanting to ride, you know? Yes, exactly. And I'm kind of thankful that I got my horses at such a young age because where I was at at that point, if they were old enough, I would have just started riding straight away. Yeah. Because I wasn't able to, that kind of pushed me to look into other avenues and start building that relationship. And I was kind of thrown in the deep end of natural horsemanship and I'm so grateful that that happened yeah but it's inevitable that along the way you're going to have some failures so I'd love to hear from you what do you think is your biggest failure with horses if you see it that way and how did this failure actually set you up for later success okay well I yeah this is something I don't see as a failure now but I did at the time so with my my old mare my Arab mare I it was kind of, it was, I got to a point where everything was going kind of well, but I still just didn't feel like she was 100% happy with being a riding horse and I retired her. And at the time I was like, oh, I shouldn't have given up, you know, I should have kept going. I'm, you know, I, I had everyone tell me that, oh, just keep working at it. If you work through this, you know, you'll be able to train any horse, which obviously isn't true anyway. But now I look back, I'm like, no, that horse has been telling me for years that she needs to retire. 
okay, so she was just older and she was sour about her work or what was it that made you make that call? She was older and she still had those physical difficulties that she was never going to get over. And also she had had, I, I think she'd had a somewhat rough upbringing because she absolutely hates men. So I don't know what happened to her. Um, we got to a point where Liberty works, you know, she still absolutely loves to work at Liberty, but I just never got that same feeling unsaddled. Yeah. And I think now looking back, you know, it was just the right call to make. That's so nice that you were able to do that for her. I think, yeah, that would take a lot, especially since so many people are so focused on writing and you really yeah. listened to her in that moment and made that call for her. That's really nice. Well, that's it. I mean, it was the other option posed to me was I could sell her to, you know, someone who just wanted to go out trail riding and get a young horse. But I just, a horse at that age, I felt like I owed her her retirement and, you know, horses will come along in the future but it took five years till I got my next horse but I still think you know I did the right thing in the end yeah so what advice do you think you or people should ignore when it comes to horses I think um you should always be prepared to ignore any advice that doesn't sit right with you in your gut I think especially like especially in like a, a lesson or a clinic environment you kind of you don't have to agree with everything that the person is telling you to do and it's okay to stand up for your horse i think everyone should be prepared to do that in a respectful way of course but we should all be allowed to have different opinions and different ways of working with them and whether you're just a novice rider um working with a, a you know grand prix dressage rider it's something if you feel like your horse or yourself isn't ready for something speak up yeah that's so good and i think it's hard for like you said novice riders or even child or teenage riders because yeah. they think that if someone's more experienced than them then their word is gospel yeah. but i do think like you said it's really important to check in with your own gut and see how that sits with you and stand up for your horse if you're feeling like you don't really agree with what you're being told but i love how you said that navigate that in a respectful way because at the end of the day everyone's on their own horse journey and that person might just not know a better way yet yeah exactly yeah so if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice 10 or 20 years ago, what would you tell young Lynn? Oh my God. Well, I would tell myself to stop worrying so much because I, I was such a, I was such a nervous, nervous kind of, when I, especially once I realized like, okay, I've got to decide what to do with my life. And I know, I knew that I knew what I wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm but I just, I didn't quite have the courage to go after it on my own because I didn't really have that support at the time. So I would say that, you know, if, if you don't try, you're never gonna know what, what could have been and you're probably gonna have a bit of regret in your life. And even if it's not meant to be, it's gonna be an amazing adventure. I'm still very much on my journey, obviously, but I feel like even if I look back three years, I would be very proud of where I've come and I'd be so happy that I went for it. With the worry side of things, were you mainly worried about your career or were you worried about working uh, with horses or like were there, was there some other worry showing up in your life? Uh, I think I went through every little insecurity, like, oh, I'm never gonna be good enough. I think because I wasn't good enough right then, I thought that I never would be for some odd reason, you know? It's always a work in progress, isn't it? You're never gonna know everything. I think because, you know, I. I didn't have, um, like my parents could could never financially support me in my dream. So I would have to make it completely on my own. So that was kind of a daunting thing because often you see 
young professionals in the industry and they're kind of you know working their family business or something like that so I felt like the odds were against me but at the same time like I said if you don't try you're never gonna know and what is your current struggle with horses what are you currently working on yeah I think the last probably the last year I've really kind of been able to you know I was a working student for some time so I was working their horses the way they wanted kind of thing which was great but um obviously I kind of put away the liberty side of things for a while and so the last year has really just been about kind of finding that balance between doing the liberty stuff doing the dressage stuff working other people's horses and being effective but still staying true to my morals so that's been a big one like getting things done in a time frame and getting things done well but also being able to I guess contradictory as it may sound take the time it takes to allow each horse to yeah develop in their own space and it's probably a struggle that I will continue to work on for a while but yeah and I think no matter what stage you're at there's always a new struggle like I don't think we'll ever reach this point where we're like yep I know how to do everything now I can stop struggling (laughs) how boring would that be exactly we'd have motorbikes otherwise exactly yeah no definitely not horses if that was what we were interested in but that's the fun of it and so speaking of struggles what are you not very good at when it comes to horses probably yeah going back to my my young self with the worrying I think I do tend to sit on issues a bit too much and that that would definitely put you know putting pressure on myself that obviously will feed into working with horses and that was something I struggled with with my off the track actually I'm like I had all this pressure I'm like I finally know how to do things right and then I felt like I couldn't even work her because I was afraid I was going to make a mistake so that's taken a little bit to overcome and I think it got in the way of me knowing her a bit because I was just just too in my head and have you made lots of mistakes with her now I, I haven't really actually I'm quite it's been, like I said, I haven't done a whole lot, but it's been relatively smooth sailing, which if I'd actually looked at myself logically, I knew it was going to. Like I was prepared for this horse in this time of my life. Not to say that they won't ever be struggles, but um, once I got over that, putting pressure on myself, then it was quite quite okay. <laughs> I think a lot of people struggle with that whole idea of not wanting to make a mistake, but I think especially at the start of your horsemanship journey, you can't really avoid that. Like if you're learning, you're going to be making mistakes. And in a way that's okay. Luckily horses are very forgiving, but you almost need to make some of those mistakes early on to make that progress and to see what works and what doesn't work. There's always going to be an element of trial and error. Well, that's it. And I mean, you can make as many mistakes as you like, as long as you're kind, they're not even going to, they're not going to know you're messing up. They're not going to get what you're asking, but they're not going to know. So as long as, yeah, as long as you're kind to them, then you can, you can make all the mistakes you want. Yes. Okay, what horse-related purchase has most positively impacted your life in the last 12 months? Okay, so quite boring, but I did upgrade my car finally. I was driving around a little, very old Toyota Corolla for most of my driving life, and I've just upgraded to something I can tow a horse float with. So. Oh, what did you get? I got a Ford Territory. Nice, yeah, nice. It does the job, and I can go places, which is great. It's Yes, and it drives well and it tows well. So far, so good. <laughs> we will have to do that forest ride sometime. Absolutely, yeah. So 
So who inspires you today? And if you could have dinner with three horse people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um, so many, so many people, you know, not just famous horse people, I guess, everyday people too. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think that's always been something I stress the importance of is just keeping an open mind and so you're able to accept inspiration from wherever it comes from. Yes. Um, but I guess I really love, um, I think in it, I don't know how to pronounce it, it's French, Alizé Froment. Yes. So she is awesome. absolutely incredible. Um, and then... Actually, it was her first, well, one of her videos I saw of her on YouTube doing a Grand Prix dressage test bareback and bridalers was one of the pivotal videos that I saw that went, yeah, there's there's a next level that, that I can achieve. Kind of like, I guess, what you had with the Cavalia show. Yeah, and I'm going back to that, the um the founders of that show kind of is frederick pignon and Magali magali delgado so they're a bit of a i don't you would come up with them yeah i actually haven't i should look into that but i did hear somewhere along the grapevine everyone that is involved in that cavalia show has done like level one pirelli i don't know if that's a true fact or not but I mean, it might be now i wouldn't know but it definitely wasn't the roots of the show yeah okay so yeah check these two out because they're i mean ultimate power couple and just amazing like i lo i love their work obviously i only know it through books and youtube and social media but i can lend you a couple of books because they're well worth the read i think you'll really resonate yes. with them yeah that would be amazing and i'll also put a link to their profiles in the notes for this show yeah so yeah that'd be great and is there some other people um i'd say there's Definitely. So I've got some good friends through Instagram that I've never met, <laughs> of course. The way yeah. Now. Kind of like us. <laughs> well, yeah, actually. Um, I did actually go and say hello to Beauty once when she was stabled at, I think it was McLaren Park Equestrian. So Beauty and I know each other. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I don't think I've actually spoken to you. So, yeah, um, one of them would be who I've been speaking to for years and who I have love having a good rant to is uh, Ebony Porter, who I think is E.L. Brock Horses on Instagram. So she's way ahead of the Liberty train when, you know, when I kind of jumped on it, but she does mostly dressage now. But yeah, really good, really good horsewoman. Bit quieter on social media now, but absolutely love talking to her and we're definitely on the same page with just about everything, which is amazing. She's definitely been a big influence on me really too. And I'm very lucky to have her on the other side of the phone um but yeah there's just there's a number of good instagram accounts that i've we're lucky enough through social media to be able to talk and share tips and yeah it's good excellent do you want to list any other instagram accounts because i'm sure the listeners would like to know well i think oh i don't know i think she used to be called oreo liberty jc horse training she was actually part of cavalia so she i've talked to her a little bit and she's got a lot of trick training tutorials on youtube so she's a good oh, cool. Um, there's also a girl in Sweden called Menia. Her account is Nornia, which is N-O-R-N-E-A. And she's not active anymore either, but she's got the most beautiful account. And I've been, I also still speak to her quite a bit. Um, I wonder why these people stop being so active on social media. Well, I don't know. I, well, I mean, I used to have quite a big social media account. I think I used to have something like a 70,000 follower account. And that was back when um, yes, horse, I horse accounts were just kind of hitting a hundred thousand, but I think adult life just took over. Like 
I knew that yeah. I didn't um, necessarily want to go down the influencer path if that was even an option yeah. for me. Um, mm -hmm. And I just wanted to work on my real life skills, I guess. So it took a back seat. And I used to put so much time into Instagram. And that's why it was yeah. a, a successful account. It's just people underestimate how much time creating content really takes, I think. And you can waste so much time creating content as well. I know I've edited videos of mine. I'm like, oh, that's been an hour. And I've got a 30 second video. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I spent, I posted a, um, it wasn't even, it was just for the group that I went riding with. I went riding on a trip to the Flinders. And I edited. Yes, I saw that on YouTube. Yeah. And I think it took me like, 15 hours <laughs> to make that video what? i mean my computer is extremely slow so it's not my not necessarily my technological skills but yeah wow <laughs> yes everyone will have to go check that out though because it's a very cool video i want to ask you about a few things around that firstly did something happen with your instagram account like was it hacked or something or did you decide to close it or what happened there well i mean i already wasn't i wasn't posting much but then there was like an instagram glitch and a bunch of accounts just got deleted off the face of the earth so that's what happened and i just never kind wow. of, i never kind of picked it up again because i just didn't have time anymore and that would have been so disheartening to have like seventy thousand followers and then the next day no one yeah it, it kind of just worked in the timing of my life like would have absolutely bothered me a year before because that was when I was really involved. But at that time, I was like, oh, I'm about to go off to work for Manolo. I'm not going to have time anyway. So yeah, it, it, happened. it worked. So it was, a bit, it was a bit disheartening, especially because there was all those posts that it's kind of like an online journal, isn't it? So there were yes. all, all those gone, but it is what it is. Yes, you can't change it now. Yeah. And tell us about the Flinders Rangers, because I saw the YouTube video, but I was like, did you go on your own horse? Did you hire a horse? Was it like a holiday package? What What was that all about? No, so I am very lucky to work for these amazing, amazing people. And we just decided since COVID had cancelled all the competitions, we're just going to head out to the Flinders Rangers. So it was on on work horses, I guess. On on um, I work for an uh, FBI endurance rider called Stella Harbison. Um, okay. So we're out on her horses because they're obviously endurance fit. It was it worked out and yeah, we went out there for, I think it was two weeks, just riding, camping. It was really once in a lifetime trip. Amazing. Right? Yeah. And riding all day? We never, I think probably didn't do more than six hours in the saddle, really. Still, that's a long time. <laughs> Quite a long time, yeah. So, but it was just, I absolutely loved it. Like going to places you'd never ever go on foot and you wouldn't be able to go in like a car. So it was really, I can't think of a better way to go and see the country, really. I hope I get to do many more trips, trips like that in the future. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Have you seen the African Horse Safari's Instagram page? I've seen, I don't know if I've seen the one you're referring to. Okay, but there are some amazing safaris. Oh, yeah. You can go on on horseback. It's definitely on my bucket list. But I think that Flinders Rangers one is also on my bucket list now. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since we can't travel at the moment. Well, that's it. It's basically in your backyard. So it's a shame not to go at least once. And tell us, like, endurance for me is, I, I know nothing about it. Yeah. So tell us what's involved in, you know, training an endurance horse. I know it's a, a really big discipline. Yeah. Uh, and 
you know, how many horses does this stud have and what's the training regime like and what does the competition look like? Give us a little bit of an insight into that side of uh, the horse world. Basically, the year for endurance is kind of, well, I guess any discipline, but combined with the stud, it's broken into breeding season and endurance season. So we're just about to wrap up breeding season, which has been absolutely full on, um, and start getting ready for endurance season. And basically, I'm actually quite surprised in terms of fitness. It's just like it's a hell of a lot of walking, walking up hills, walking on different terrain. Um, we obviously do like practice canter days as well to get the horses properly fit, especially when it will come up to doing 160 kilometer rides. But um, yeah, it's just these horses, these Arabs are so um, physically like they're just bred for this. You know, they've got amazing heart rates and they get fit in five minutes. So wow. they go on, so what a general day in the endurance season would be, they, I get there, all the horses in work go on the horse walker. Um, then I'll do like my feeding, cleaning up routine, then they'll come off and then we'll ride as many as we can in the afternoon. And do you incorporate some of your classical dressage and liberty training into that or is that completely different endurance? I don't, I don't, do, I don't do liberty with the endurance horses, but I definitely, okay. I would love to, in the ideal world, I give them all one flat work session a week because I think it's really important for any horse and especially endurance horses that are going to be carrying people around for like up to 15 hours um, I think it's really important that they know how to carry themselves under saddle and can go in a good frame so um, yeah I like to do it especially the young ones get a lot more flat work training than the older ones so but yeah I'm really lucky to have pretty much complete freedom with how I work them at this stud. So, are you involved in the starting under saddle process there? Are they? Does that happen? Is that happening on site, or do they go somewhere else to be broken in? So they go. They go off for a, a few weeks, and they get start started to the point where they are comfortable walking, trotting, going left, right, and stopping under saddle, and then I okay. follow up for a few weeks before they go up out for a spell. How cool. It's yeah. a completely different world. It's it amazing. The horse industry is so big. There's so many it different is. facets that we're not even exposed to, you know? It is. And, you know, at the same time, like when I first got the job, I, was, I really didn't see myself there long term because I was like, I'm not interested in endurance, you know? Mm -hmm. But then at the, at the end of the day, horses are horses. Yes. So, so you can learn just as much, I guess, from any discipline. I think I'd encourage young riders to not focus on discipline so much, but rather learn from someone who you connect with and you agree with how they treat their horses in general. And I think getting a broad experience in a variety of disciplines is a really good idea before you decide on exactly what oh, you want to ab do. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's okay to change your mind. Yeah. So, yeah. So before we wrap up, I was going to ask you uh, to tell us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Oh God, um, I've been dreading this question because the only thing I can think of to say is that when, when I was a kid, I used to just pretend I was a horse all the time. So every time I <laughs> every time I just stop and you know stand there or whatever, I'd like rest one of my feet as if I was a horse resting. And as a result, I think, <laughs> as a result, now, <laughs> but the thing is now I've got like abnormally flexible toes because of this. 
And I'm, I'm thinking all morning as I'm like feeding the horse and I'm like, I've got to think of something better to say, but that's the only thing. So yeah, that's, that's, that's so good. something interesting about me that no one else knows. I have flexible toes. That's great. Yeah. I never used to pretend I was a horse, but I used to ride, well, pretend that my horse, that my brother was a horse and oh, ride him as bad as that sounds. Yeah. Oh dear. I don't know why people think horse, horse kids are weird, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All us horse people are kind of a little bit weird, so we've probably always been that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fine. There's, there's a whole world of them out there. And what else are you interested in aside from horses? Um, horses don't leave a lot of time, but I'm quite. I love anything creative, and I love to read. So generally, my ideal time is just hanging out with my dogs and either making something or reading. What sort of books are you reading at the moment? So I pretty much always have a horsey, like a non-fiction horse one on the go. Um, I actually, speaking of, I've just revisited, because I love them, the um, Frederick Pignon Gallop to Freedom, mm -hmm. which I will lend you. Yes, I really need to read that now. And I've also started reading a, I think it's a young adult book called We Were Lies, but I can't tell you much about it yet. And the last question that I would like to ask you is if you could have a billboard with anything on it for all horse people to see, what would it say and why? Um, I think, I don't know so much what it would say, but I think it would be a little, maybe a little reminder to think back about why you, why you fell in love with horses and why you started. I think that's always a go-to point when you're feeling like you're stuck or um, or you're not enjoying yourself as much as you thought you think you should, like go back and find that feeling of when you first fell in love with horses. And yeah, be, be more childlike about it. Be more childlike in your work because I think they, that's what they're drawn to. They can feel that. Yeah. And it's funny whenever I have, you know, non-horsey friends bring their kids around, naturally they want to go and see the horses. And the horses look kind of fascinated with the children and yeah. they can almost sense their innocence. Yeah. So even if they go up and they sort of kind of smackingly pat them on the face, the horses are like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, well, the other day I was, um, I've got these two little girls who I'm giving riding lessons to and they helped me take a horse back down to the paddock and we walked through the paddock with all the foals in it. And the latest foal is still quite shy about people. And this foal just walked straight up to these kids and they were patting it and chatting to it. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I think we should all aspire to be more like. And where can our guests find out more about you? Tell us about your Instagram and YouTube. And I know, you know it sounds like you're not very active on those things, but I'm sure people want to go and check you out anyway. Well, um, my Instagram is LR underscore horse training. And that's probably where I'm most active. I've also got a Facebook called Lynn Roosler Equestrian. And then my YouTube is pretty stagnant. I think that's just Lynn Roosler, but I do hope to do some vlogging this year, probably focused around endurance because there's just not, not a lot of information about it out there for someone wanting to get into the sport. How exciting, that's so good. I'm sure people would love to hear more from you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I've learned so much about you and it's good to finally connect with you after speaking with you on Instagram for a while and admiring you from afar. So thanks again. Thank you so much.
Thanks for listening to the Horsemanship Breakthroughs podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode is released. And if you've learned even just one small thing from today's show, I would really appreciate if you could leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions from today's show, suggestions for future episodes, or just want to reach out and say hi, I would love to connect with you on Instagram at Amalia underscore horses. Remember to also register for my free connection and communication mini course at AmaliaDempsey.com.